Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So go ahead and have a seat if you would. And it's um, awesome to be back today. I was gone the last two Sundays, and I'll tell you more about that in just a little bit. And um, so yesterday, I've been fighting this cold, and it just came on full force yesterday. And last night, uh, Kim touched me, and I had one of those rare moments when she said, you are hot. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, really? <laughs> and so uh, I had, a, you know, took my temperature and had 100.5. And I, oh, you know, I just really, you know, I love you guys. And I just really, when I get here, want to give you the best. And so uh, I just was feeling that and woke up this morning and, you know, not feeling well at all. And, and then got here. And this is, I'm going to tell you why I'm telling this. It's not about me. It's about our church. And about what God does. And my encouragement to you is to be here from the time we start till the time we end every week. Until this final moment. Because you never know when God wants to speak to you. So today, as I was feeling like that, and we sang the song, Give Me Faith. Um, as I was sitting there, in the, in the lyrics that Dave sang to us, and we all sang together. Here they are. Just telling you kind of what I was feeling. And then what God, I, I just think he touched my heart. He says, I may be weak. Your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail. My God, you never will. And that was just such an encouragement to me. And, and I don't know where you are today that you might be in a place where, you know, either physically or mentally, you know, spiritually, emotionally, that you're in a place where you're, you're wondering where God is and is God really good? And, and I just want to just let you know today that from my perspective and my walk with him, that he is good and he is present uh, and just also encourage you about what we do here, especially when, you know, the singing time that uh, it's not optional. It's actually part of what God's doing uh, as we gather together. So love to be back. Glad I'm here. Glad you're here today as well uh, as we continue the series, You Make Me Crazy. Uh, and uh, today I'm going to talk about crazy words. So here's what you can do. You can grab your Bible. You can turn to James chapter 3. And that's where we're going to be today. As we look at crazy words, and I just want to say, if you don't own a Bible, it's our desire you have one, and so that you can take home that's yours, and so you can stop by the bookshelves when you leave today. There are Bibles in there, and you can just take one. It's our gift to you. Love to see you have one as well. But you can also grab your message notes out of your program. They look like this, and this will help you a lot today. So grab these. They have all the verses we'll use, and also you can write some thoughts down there today uh, that I believe might help you. So James was considered the pastor of the very first church in Jerusalem. And as he's writing his letter, he's writing this words to the church, he said, here's the wisdom that you're going to need to live in the environment you're in. And so that's what he's doing. He's giving them words of wisdom because the church was just exploding with supernatural growth. And uh, so they have a lot of things they had to manage, plus the persecution that they were under, and then how people were you know, being forced to uh, go into exile and to move away from their homes and their families. And so in this world, you're going to need wisdom. And so that's what we're looking at when we look at James, is wisdom for us is how to live in the world. Now, in the first message in the series... I opened up the concept of empathy. And so I want to come back to that, and I gave you a definition, and my statement was, it's right at the top of your nose, my statement is this, the cornerstone character trait, and I, I can't emphasize that enough, the cornerstone character trait for loving crazy people is empathy. And then here's the definition. 
Empathy is tuning in to what someone else feels. Validating the bigness, not judging it, validating the bigness of it. And then expressing compassion. Expressing compassion for the place the person is in. Now, this is important for us to grasp. And, and I know that there's all kinds of you know, thoughts today about global warming. Is it real? Is it not? But if you're aware of what's going on, you saw the study that was released this week. The study said that, uh, that where we're headed, that before long, one in six species will go extinct. One in six species will go extinct unless we change something. And for every degree that the temperature rises, more and more species are going extinct. So I, I thought that was a pretty big deal, and I thought, you know, well, you ought to do something about that. But here's something else I read this week. I also read that there's been a 40% drop, 40% drop in the ability to express empathy by college students in the last 30 years. <laughs> So they've been doing this study since 1979, and as they're doing this study, they've realized that there's been a 40% drop in college students' ability to express empathy for others. And folks, I, I just looked at that, and I thought, if we don't take this seriously, empathy someday may no longer exist in our society. And it's the cornerstone. And it may no longer exist. So if it's the cornerstone of relationships, and yet it's in such decline that it may become extinct someday without some intervention, then we need to talk about it as a church. And we need to embrace it. And we need to model it for God's people. So, you know, last week, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago now, we began the series on empathy. So I have a heightened awareness for empathy right now. And just kind of everywhere I go, I'm trying to read it or see it. And it just, just because that's where I'm living right now. And so, you know, we, I left here on Sunday uh, after doing the message. And Kim and I were leaving on a trip. Uh, our 25th anniversary is the end of May. And so, and I just want to say the end of May, and you can applaud every week, okay? Uh, I love it. Uh, and so the end of May. And so we, you know, saved, planned, came up with this trip that we, you know, a dream trip that we would take together for our 25th anniversary. And we chose to go to Italy. And for two weeks, self-guided tour uh, of seven cities. You can imagine how chaotic that, you know, became uh, in doing that. And uh, that was quite an experience. So anyway, we left trying to, you know, watch all the pennies we can. We took the, the most inexpensive flights. So our flight out of here was out of Sacramento, and it was at 5.41 a.m. And that was after both of us worked all day Sunday, and then, you know, having to get our daughter and our dogs and cats and all the, you know, animals taken care of. And so we went to bed at 10.30, and I set my alarm for 1.30. And just knowing that it's going to be a short night, get up, get to the airport, you know, with enough margin that we needed and, and, you know, realizing everybody there was in the same place. More than likely, they were feeling the same things, the same kind of fatigue that we were feeling. So, so we get in line uh, for boarding. And I looked at my ticket, and I was in group number five. Okay, so I'm group number five. So there's one, two, three, four, five. I call five the peasant class. Uh, and so that's where we were. So they called groups one and two, and all these important people get on in groups one and two. And I'm back in peasant class. They go, I don't want to be a five. <laughs> and, but that's where I was. And so it turns out that there's probably ten of us in the five line. Well, as soon as, you know, the five start to be able to board, somebody comes in the plane, and they said, all the overheads are full. And so you have to check. Everybody's going to check their luggage. Now, let me tell you a little backstory about this. 
Kim and I had done some study about, you know, traveling. And so we took, we took a challenge that we heard that we were going to travel for two weeks to Italy in carry-ons only. And so we worked really hard. We got it down to just what we needed a carry-on and a small backpack. And so here I am standing there in line, and they're going to take my carry-on that I tried so hard and check it, okay? <laughs> First, all the way to my destination, which was Milan. And I'm going, is it ever going to make it there? But, you know, kind of a little crushed about that. So here we are in the line. And uh, the woman, there was an older couple right in front of us. And it gets to them, and they weren't paying attention yet, and they weren't aware that they were going to have to give up their luggage. And the lady says it to them. Now, I know that lady uh, who works for this airline, that she probably, just like everybody else, had a rough night, and she was having a rough morning. And so it comes to this couple, and she tells them they have to put their luggage and carry on. I mean, check it to their destination. And the woman broke into tears. And I'm listening to her explanation as to why she's crying. And she's crying because she has a medication that's important for her to take. And she had, just like us, packed very carefully so that she would have it packed just right so that there's no way so that she would be without her medication. It was in her carry-on. And now it's going to be checked. And she was crying about this. And, you know, the woman looked at her, and, um, and here, this is what she said. She said, if you hadn't have chosen an aisle seat, you wouldn't be in group five and you'd already be on the plane. I'm like, you know, right into her heart. And, and, and so because I'm so aware of empathy at that moment, I'm like, empathy moment lost, <laughs> okay? Uh, and, uh, and so it's just the, the awareness of this whole idea about empathy is so important for us and all around us. And so I'm just encouraging us that we would grasp this and we would learn to be more empathetic in the moments where we can really help people. Now, when I talk about empathy, I'm not talking about some mumbo-jumbo, self-help, psychobabble stuff that political platforms are based on, okay? I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about a biblical reality that Christian relationships are built on according to the Bible. Jesus was the model of empathy, Believe it or not, he was the model. If you study the life of Jesus as he related to people, he was the model of someone who would be empathetic with people wherever they are. He would not judge them, but he would empathy for them. His empathy was actually so strong that he loved us so much that it drove him to the cross, and he gave his life for us. That's the level of his empathy, and he still empathizes with us. That first week we looked at Hebrews 4.15, we have a someone who's well acquainted with our griefs and our, the things that we go through. So if we're going to be people of empathy, what we need to do is each one of us, we need to experience the empathy of Jesus ourselves. I can't be empathetic if I have not received the empathy of Jesus. And so that's my hope for us. That's my hope for you. That's my hope for me that we would experience and know the empathy that Jesus has for us, okay? So that's what we're going to get to empathy in just a little while. Right now, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about words and how our words impact our relationships. And I came across an article this week, and the article was um, entitled Newspaper Bloopers. And so these are headlines in newspapers. And you know how a headline, when you're writing it, it probably makes sense in the editing room. But when it hits the press and people read it, it just doesn't make sense, okay? So I just thought I'd share some of these because it's really hard to communicate in words. So here's one. It says this, state population to double by 2040, babies to blame. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. <laughs> Here's what I just can't believe it. Nation, death is the nation's top killer. Okay, so we got that straight. Okay, we know that. <laughs> Used 
clothing to keep warm in the winter. Okay, so everybody got that? We need clothing that's going to keep us warm. Uh, this is really terrible. Planes forced to land at airports. Can you believe that? You know, they're going to force them to actually have to land at airports. Um, here's one. Police began campaign to run down jaywalkers. I'm going to get those jaywalkers, you know? <laughs> oh, this is crazy stuff. Okay, one more. I probably shouldn't do this one. It's a little edgy, but here we go. Panda mating, mating, M-I-T-I-N-G, fails. Veterinarian takes over. (laughs) (laughs) So what does all that tell us? It tells me that even professional wordsmiths, professional wordsmiths, even professional writers make crazy bloopers with their words. Words are just hard to control. They're hard to manage. And yet the truth is that we walk forward and today we need to realize that nobody is perfect in this. In fact, James says this in verse 2. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. Okay, so that's who? Everybody. We all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So he's saying that every one of us needs this message. Now, the people who write the inside of your program, there's um, inside of your message notes, there's a, a community group Bible study that is written every week that goes along with the message. The people who wrote this week's community group Bible study sent me an email yesterday. Of course, they knew what I was talking about and, and with a picture and said it's so appropriate for today. And it really is. So let's look at it. It's a quilt. Here's what it says. Dear God, Always walk beside me with your arm around me and your hand over my mouth. (laughs) Okay, message is over. You got it right there. Just his hand over my mouth. Now, the book of James is known as the wisdom book of the New Testament. Many of you are aware of that. Well, there's a a book in the Old Testament called Proverbs. It's known as the wisdom book of the Old Testament. So as you can imagine, Proverbs would talk about the same kinds of deals, like the tongue. Proverbs talks a lot about the tongue and our words. Here's one verse. Proverbs 18, John read it to us earlier. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words can bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. The tongue can bring death. The tongue can bring life. And most of us have received both. Most of us have received both. Most of us have given both. Now, if I asked you about words that have brought you life, okay, if you thought about just words that have brought you life in some way, my guess is that you could think of at least one pivotal moment when someone spoke a word of blessing over you. You can probably recall a statement or a sentence spoken at just the right time that brought life into you. In one way or another, what was spoken or said to you, it really ended up directing your life and how you saw yourself and your self-image. And I would just say it this way, blessed is the person who has had life spoken over him or her or into him and her. On the flip side, many of you could also recall a moment when a word of death or derision or rejection or ridicule or shame or comparison was spoken to you, over you, or about you. And you carry today, you still carry the scars of that statement with you. See, the Bible talks a lot about the tongue and the power that it has. The tongue can bring death and the tongue can bring life. And we need to grab hold of this today because our words are like bullets, like bullets leaving a gun. Once it comes out, 
there's no getting it back in. It's out. That's why when you get arrested, you're told what you say can and will be used against you. So you have the right to silence. Because once you say it, it can never be taken back. So I'm going to begin today by focusing on some words that bring death. Just to kind of you know show us a little bit about maybe even we can see some of our the words we use and maybe even identify words that were used against us that might help us to overcome those. So some of the words, these are all from the New Testament, uh, and they all express words that lead to death. And you might want to write these down and think about them. The first is harsh words. Harsh words. And these are words that express anger or hatred or rage. Many of you, this would be where you would say death was given to you. Uh, I don't know, if you look at our culture right now, this seems to be our cultural norm. Um, and what's going on, and, and people are frustrated and they're angry, and so they're spewing harsh, angry words of rage. And words, that, words of rage are usually meant to put someone down or hurt them in some way. Words of slander would be next. Uh, and these are <coughs> words that are not true, that are intended to ruin the reputation or self-esteem of another. So the Bible talks a lot about slander. If you want to do a study about that, speaking of words that aren't true to hurt someone else. Next would be words of gossip. Uh, now, these are words that are true or partially true, and they're spoken to hurt someone else. But really, what gossip is, is I use gossip to make myself feel better. You know, I gossip about someone else so that I feel better because I'm not like them. And so gossip gets in the way of relationships. Next is profane words. And, and this is probably the area where I have the most sensitivity because it's so prevalent in our culture right now, profanity. We are a profane culture. Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, one of my mentors, he wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. And in the Divine Conspiracy, has a section on profanity. And he says that profanity at its core is expressing contempt for others. That anytime I express profanity, that what I'm doing is I'm expressing my contempt for others. The root source of profanity is that I want to release the contempt I have for you, even if it's just casual profanity because it comes from a place of contempt that I see myself as better than you. And then lies are falsehood. And so I'm, you know, bold-faced lies or, you know, shading the truth, white-faced li white lies, just lies of falsehood. We tell those. And, and then the last would be words of judgment. And, and this is when we speak words of guilt upon someone. We declare them guilty without a trial. And, you know, I, you know many of us are guilty of this. And I'd say the church is really guilty of this is that we look at other people and we judge them as guilty and we condemn them. And we, so we spew our words of judgment and we push people away instead of drawing people to the love of Jesus. We condemn others instead of loving them. I'm going to add one more just for kicks, okay? Sarcasm. Sarcasm. Now, we live in an age, and I especially with young people. So young people, listen up. You know, those of you in your 20s, teens, 20s, uh, where sarcasm is the way to speak. It's so common. And folks, uh, we must deal with this issue of sarcasm. And so um, the thing about sarcasm, I have a 20-year-old, and, you know, and the reason I know that this is so culturally you know, profound and current is that anytime I'm sarcastic, I, he high-fives me, you know, because that's, that's, you've scored. 
and so you've done well, and so you're done well with sarcasm. And I just say, we need to deal with this. See, see, the thing about sarcasm is, and what makes it so dangerous and harmful, is that even though I'm saying it in jest, even though I'm saying it in humor, if I had to think it in order to say it, and therefore I'm thinking it about you before I say it, and that's what makes sarcasm so dangerous. So I just say, there is a place for sarcasm, but don't let it be your modus operandum that you work in life. So those are words that lead to death. Okay, so now let's look at James, and let's talk about some power of our words, and then I'm going to close by giving you some words to try on this week. First, my words can direct where I go. They can direct where I go. Study after study shows that the words you use can actually impact and direct your path. So what I would encourage us to do is that we need to take stock of the language that's coming out of our mouths. And for some of us, it's even the self-talk. But it's the language that's coming out of our mouths. And so, okay, am I believing and am I speaking words about possibility of a future with hope and goodness because God is faithful and he's for me? Or am I believing the, the, the press and the words about pessimism? And that there's no hope for our future and that everything is going downhill and the sky is falling. So you just want to think about that. On the way to church this morning, as I was coming, I was feeling, you know, not real good. And I'm driving down the road. And so all I'm thinking is, I feel terrible. I feel terrible. I feel terrible. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, God said, you can change that talk. Just because you feel terrible doesn't mean you have to talk about it. So what I started doing, I, I went to my prayer, my meditation prayer is the Lord's Prayer. And so I started declaring his goodness. And I praise you, God. You are awesome. You are wonderful. And you were for me and you were here. And that literally changed how I approached how I came to church today. By changing the words that were coming out. Our words can direct us. James 3. Okay, let's get to James. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. So there's two pictures here. How many of you saw the Kentucky Derby yesterday? Raise your hand. Really? You watched the Kentucky Derby? Okay, good. (laughs) Sarcasm. There we go. So um, the winner was American Pharaoh, and in case you don't know. And here's a picture of last year's Derby. And, um, And so you see the horses running a half ton of weight and being guided and directed by this little bit in a mouth and reins. And so that's what he's saying, is that the the tongue is like a little bit that can direct this huge beast. Then he talks about a ship or a boat and a rudder. And so I'm going to show you a ship here. Um, This is uh, the ship. It's called the Oasis of the Seas. It's actually the, the largest cruise ship on the planet until 2016. They're building a bigger one. Uh, but this is the largest oasis. I've got a question. Any, anybody in here ever been on this cruise ship? I just wanted to talk to you if you had. It would be cool. But, uh, uh, but it, 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 let me just tell you a little bit. This is the length of four football fields. It has seven neighborhoods, different kinds of neighborhoods that you can you know, be in. It has a city park with 56 full-size trees. It has a boardwalk with a carousel. It has an ice skating rink. And it has a tattoo parlor. So you can get your cruise tattoo to remember everything that you did while you were there. It weighs a quarter of a million tons. Now, this massive vessel, if we go into the captain's place where he guides the ship, they don't have the big wheels anymore. You know, like we see, they have little video game joysticks. 
And so he's got a video game joystick that he's using to guide this little rudder that's directing this huge ship. And James is saying, that's the power of your tongue. It will direct your path. Okay, the next is this. My words destroy what I have. Destroy what I have. Verse 5 in James. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among the parts of the body... The tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. That doesn't sound good, does it? (laughs) Thing in my mouth, it's not a good thing sometimes. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can naturally tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. The only way the tongue can be tamed is supernaturally, as God takes over and gives us control of this object in our mouth. Now, I think we're all familiar with the forest fire. Let's have a picture here of the King's Fire from last year over in Placer County. And we know how this fire just ravaged all of that uh, beautiful countryside over on the American River in Placer County. And when these forest fires break out, it's, it's difficult and sometimes impossible to stop them. And what James is saying is, is that the tongue has the power to destroy. It can corrupt a whole person, and it can set the course of your life on fire. But our words can not only destroy us, our words can also destroy other people. Our words can burn others. That's why we go to a roast where someone's roasted because they're getting burned by words. And so I just, I just wonder, you know, just as we think about this, because we, we have to do some soul searching here. How many of us would be, you know, don't raise your hand. How many of us would have started, at some point in our past, we know that we started a chain reaction that destroyed a career or a marriage or a family or a church or someone's reputation or a friendship just because of a careless or slanderous or hurtful word. You know, one thing I want us to think about before we go on to the next idea is that just like it's going to take decades, decades for this forest to look beautiful again, sometimes it's going to take decades for the damage that's done to another person to be rehabilitated and restored. And so we just need to be aware it can take a long time. I need to remember our words can destroy and hurt others. Okay, the third idea is this. My words display who I am. My tongue displays my true character. It shows what is really inside of me. I don't know why, you know, I wish I, my doctor friend's not here right now, but <clears throat> so when you go to the doctor and they say, you're going to check out, they stick out your tongue, right? The... There's just something about sticking out your tongue. That they look at your tongue and they can see certain things by looking at your tongue that's wrong on the where? On the inside. And that's kind of the idea here is that I, you know, if I look at my tongue and it's not, you know, it's spewing ugly words or any of the list I gave you, then there's something wrong on the inside. Look at what James says. He says, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. And that's not, he means it. This is not right. So what he's saying here is there's times when I can come to church and I can get lost in the music and I can sing and I can close my eyes. I might even raise my hands. And I'm so lost in that and I'm praising God for his wonder. And then I leave church and I'm pinched. 
something goes haywire, something goes wrong, I don't get my way, and instantly out comes other words out of my mouth. He's saying we each have that potential, but the cool thing is, is that when, when and this is hard, but when the cool thing is, is when the words come out that are inappropriate, they actually show the condition of my heart that Jesus wants to work on, that he wants to continue to change. And James says you can praise God with your mouth, but then you can turn around and cut, curse someone else with your mouth. And he says when you do that, that's truly who you are. People say, I hear people say this all the time, and they say this, well, that's not me. They'll say something or do something, well, that's just not me. And I'm going, well, yes, it is. <laughs> you have to think it. It's inside of you, and it just came out, and you're embarrassed, or you wish it weren't you, but it is you. And so our tongues display who we are. Okay, so what I want to do now is I want to bring this down to, okay, those are words and the power of words. Now, what about empathy? How can we communicate empathy to other people by our words? And so I want to go over to James chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, just go over a couple of pages to James chapter 1, verse 19. And I want to give you three ideas from this verse that can be about empathy. And then I'm going to give you a challenge that Jesus gave as we wrap up today. So here are three ideas. First is this. This is about empathy. You must all be quick to listen. You must all be quick to listen. So I must learn to listen. I must learn to listen. So remember the definition of empathy was to tune in? That's what I'm talking about. In order to listen, I have to tune in to what someone else is going through and what they are actually feeling. See, the problem is that most of us don't really care about listening. Most of us don't really care about listening. So what we're doing, we call it listening, but instead what we're doing is waiting. So we're letting you say your piece, and we're waiting so that we can say something profound. (laughs) And we can give you our word of wisdom, our story of how awesome we are in some way. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to give you some ideas about how to tune up the listening skills um, that we would have. And the first one is this, is that you cannot really listen if you don't look someone in the eyes. So you really have to look someone in the eyes to truly listen. There's all kinds of body language studies done about this and about the whole concept of, you know, you validate someone when you look them in the eyes. And truly in the eye, you see someone's soul. And so, you know, you may think that you can have a communication with someone and you're looking off at the skull over here and the person's over here, but you're not communicating. You're not listening. So you have to turn the focus and you have to look someone in the eyes. The second way, I'll call it this, complete the communication loop. So listening, complete the communication loop. Some of you would call this reflective listening. And so basically what you're doing is you're going to communicate the communication, you're going to complete it. So if someone tells a joke, how do I complete it? I laugh, right. I laugh at the joke. Even if it's bad, you know, I'm going to laugh at the joke. If someone asks a question, how do I complete it? I answer the question. I continue in dialogue. If someone, someone tells you something that's vulnerable, how do I complete that conversation? I tell them how valued I feel by them sharing this vulnerable thing with me, and I ask them to tell me more. And that completes that communication loop. So basically, I need to learn to listen. Okay, second thing is this. I must weigh my words. I must weigh my words. James says, you be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Anybody in here ever wish you could take something back that you said? All of us, if we're honest. Maybe every one of us. Hopefully it wasn't this morning. Uh, But we've all been there. Now, here's where empathy comes into play. So 
okay, I'm going to weigh my words. Here's where empathy comes into play here. Is it my goal to know the other person or is it my goal to win the argument? If it's my goal to know the other person, then I'm going to weigh the words that come out of my mouth. But if my goal is only to win the argument, well, that's, that's, I'm gonna, that's all I'm going to do is I'm going to win the argument. And I'm going to lay some heavy words on someone that might be damaging or hurtful. Is it my goal to validate? Remember, that's the second piece. So tune in and validate. Is it my goal to validate how difficult the place is the person is in? Or is it my goal to give them my words of wisdom? and help on how to get out of the situation. Now, a long time ago, I did a message, and I was talking about how do we weigh our words, and I gave three ideas. So you might write these down somewhere. I don't know if you have space somewhere, but here, it's real simple, okay? Here it is. Before I speak, I'm weighing my words. Is it, I think, is it true? Is, about, is it what I'm about to say true? Is it kind? Is what I'm about to say kind? And then number three, is it necessary? Is it necessary? Now, I, I know a lot of times I know things that are true, and I could even say it's kind, but it's just not necessary. It's just not. You know? and so I need to really come back and say, I'm not that important, and that the other person's more important, so it's not about me sharing my wisdom. It's about me caring for another person. So, um, and then lastly, I must restrain my reactions. If I'm going to be empathetic, I need to restrain my reactions. And he says you need to be slow to get angry. Slow to get angry. I read this this week, this quote. Someone said it well. Sometimes swallowing angry words is much easier than having to eat them. Would you agree? <laughs> swallowing them is much easier than having to eat them because I'm sorry that I said them and it hurt someone else. See, the problem with, you know, just... Venting and expressing your anger is it's like adding espresso to coffee. You know, it just takes it up a whole nother, takes the whole situation up a whole nother level. So if I can restrain things, it'll keep me from not saying things I, I wish I hadn't have said and didn't intend to say at all. Okay, last thing is this. Uh, if I'm going to speak words that bring life, I must monitor my mouth. Back to what James said, and then now these are words of Jesus Christ. I must monitor my mouth. So I just want to ask a question. Just say, just say we, you know, I was reading this, just love to read. I was reading this thing this week. It was talking about all the ways that our lives are being spied on. Uh, You know, did you know that your coffee maker can spy on you? Yeah, if you hook your coffee maker up to the Wi-Fi, it's spying on you. And all this data is going in. So it's all the ways that we get spied on today. So I was just asking, I was thinking about that. If, if you could, if someone was spying on you and they, they taped every conversation you had in the last week, every conversation you had in the last week, what would we learn about you? What would we learn about the things you say? What would we learn about the words that you use with other people? See, what we need to know is, is that the things that come out of us reveal who we are. And as much as we would hate the thought of someone videotaping us for an entire week and then displaying it for the world to see, God sees it. God knows it. He knows your heart. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to realize that the things you say reveal your heart and reveal the condition of your heart. Jesus said it this way, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Whatever's there will determine what you say. See, word problems are not really word problems. Word problems are heart problems. 
I haven't resolved something in my heart that he wants to change. He wants to make different. So ultimately, the way that we're going to deal with our word problems is to allow God to deal with our heart. So the whole goal is that I move around and I'm a person who speaks words of life. And that's what Paul's writing about in Ephesians 4. He says this. <coughs> Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. So I want to give you a challenge. Uh, two challenges, actually, today. One is, is that you would truly monitor your words this week. You'd monitor your thoughts and that you would stop before you say something that you know is harmful or hurtful or just not necessary. So you would, this week you'd spend some time monitoring. And the second thing is, is that you would begin the moment you leave here today, maybe even on your connection card in a few moments, and you would make, I'm going to start expressing words of life. My goal this week is that I'm going to express words of life wherever I go. I'm going to express encouragement. I'm going to encourage people. I'm going to look for where they are, how they're doing the best they can, and I'm going to tell them that. You know, one of the best ways that we can express a positive word is just to become a gratitude speaker. Just wherever you go, I'm just thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful. I'm just I'm thankful for you. And just start expressing gratitude. And you don't have to express gratitude for what God's doing. I mean, you can do this at work. Just I'm grateful, grateful, grateful. And pretty soon people will know, what the heck are you so grateful? And you get a chance to share about the love in Jesus. Hopefulness. You can express hopefulness. So you know what? Hopefulness would be, you know what? I believe that God does have a plan in the future. I believe that God is in charge. And I, I have a hope. And so I'm going to start speaking words of hopefulness out to other people that I, I, God's getting in this. And I trust him. He's good. He's faithful. He's there. Uh, another one would be as we had dedicated Jude just a few moments ago, just words of praise. And you don't have to do these out loud, but you can. Just words, praise God wherever you go. Just praise him. And let that change the atmosphere that you're living in. Okay? So let's bow our heads and let's pray a moment. Jesus, thank you that you've spoken to us today. And we come and I want to ask for each of us, you know, as we're thinking about if really... Our words show our heart. The only way that we can have better words is to have a heart change. And that begins, first of all, with saying yes to Jesus, to receiving forgiveness. And so, you know, I know that there are people here who have never done that. And if you wanted to today, it's not hard, it's not difficult, <clears throat> it requires trust. And if you wanted to, you would say to Jesus, and I it's just you to say this in your mind. Jesus, I need you. My heart is dirty. My heart needs changed. I've tried and I've run up short every time. I believe you're God. I believe that you came to live and that you died on a cross so that I could be forgiven and be in right relationship with my Holy Father. I receive that forgiveness today. I turn myself to you, and I ask today, Jesus, that you would guide me, that I could be the kind of person that brings life. And I'd say, God, that'd be the prayer I have for us each individually, and the prayer for Twin Cities Church, that Twin Cities Church would be known as a place that brings life because of the words we speak and the Jesus we represent. 
And it's in your name we pray. Amen.